Welcome back to the Summer Podcast, now renamed Renaissance and Our Times. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Richard Emerson and I will be your host today. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting episode from a historian in Seattle. His name is John Strickland and he uh, has written, he's working on a four-volume work about the last 2,000 years of history seen from the Eastern Orthodox perspective and therefore it's it might be then depending on your background but it's very interesting in the way that it illuminates the differences the contrast between especially the eastern and the western traditions and how uh, it provides a whole new new outlook and, and um, an impression almost of what the Western tradition from after like the schism in 1054, the whole Western tradition with uh, Catholicism and later Protestantism uh, is seen from the Eastern Orthodox perspective and also the differences. And uh, it's helpful if you, it's hugely recommended to read the first two volumes. So the first one is called The Age of the Paradise. That's the first thousand years from first Pentecost to the first millennium and the schism. And then the second book is called The Age of Division, which goes from the schism until about 1500. So, but it provides this background to see that the first thousand years, the first millennium was very different. It's so much brighter, positive, life-affirming, Kind of, it's it's the you you are supposed to to experience the heavens now while you're living as something extraordinary and something that kind of fulfills your life and makes the earthly life better, like now while you are living. Uh, and then things change a lot after the schism when when you have kind of, uh, Rome and and the new papacy emerging, and which then establishes a new. Um, a new theology and a new church, which is in many ways very different from the Eastern. So also just it's good to keep in mind that this is written from uh, the Orthodox perspective, but it's still very interesting. It's illuminating. And it also shows a part of European history that is largely not looked at that much within within the Western part of Europe and, and history writing from the Western part of Europe. So that's a little bit of the background. Um, this specific episode, so and also the third book is coming now out in November, uh, which is called The Age of Utopia, which goes from 1500 to 1900. And now the, the those episodes that John Strickland is making now is about what is coming in this forthcoming book. So... This specific episode from August 11th is called Subverting a Sacramental Culture. And it's about both the Renaissance, like the Renaissance humanism and the, both the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation, which he is then kind of re-coining as uh, being um, first the Counter-Reformation and then the Neo-Reformation. We'll get back to that. So we just want to go through some of the points because it's, it's interesting just to reflect upon history uh, one more time, and also because it brings forth so much of of uh, the Italian history with the Renaissance and the humanism and also the Baroque era, which is magnificent <laughs> with the beauty, the arts and the architecture. And uh, even if in the episode the, the view on the Baroque is, is uh, somewhat more... Uh, 
uh, mixed in terms of what, why it's there and what the consequences are. Uh, but if we start with the beginning, so uh, it starts with the, the background with the like the Renaissance first, and then Petrarch as the first kind of one of the first big humanists, and this retreat to the neutral space. It's interesting because the Renaissance is reacting to, in some sense, then what people saw as the medieval times, but more specifically, perhaps it's reacting to a certain strand of of deep negativity and pessimism within the the new papacy, within the papal reforms. This, uh, like the, the the early stages of the Catholic Church. Um, which is very different from what was usually there the first thousand years within Christendom, as kind of this civilization of the of the Christian world. Um, so, this very strong negativity to the earthly life is something that that grows out of these centuries from 1054 until the 1300s, especially, but already at around 1200, it's kind of really a strong attitude and approach that the earthly life is horrible, it's misery and it's in some ways is contrasting the heavens but it's also some ways this this, uh, this attitude that is kind of in some ways just the sooner you get done with the earthly life the better so it's just kind of you just have to endure it, that's a bit of the the <laughs> how they portray things and also then why the Renaissance was such a strong reaction to that negativity with this extraordinary joy and positivity that was just exploding in the beauty of the arts. At the same time, also then retreating into the kind of the secular space because the, as it was seen at the time, the religious space was so dark, negative and depressing. So they wanted something joyful. So that's a little bit of the background and kind of 1300s. Um, so he talks about then the, the uh, famous humanists of Manetti, Vicino, Mirandola, um, who are very interesting figures in themselves. Um, we want to say then, we go more into this in a little bit. So, and then we also talk about that Michelangelo, Raffaello, they're coming and then naturalism becomes a new aesthetic. And this whole opposing force of the secular humanism is then reacting again to the pessimism, the same way the Renaissance. So the Renaissance and the humanism kind of both uh, have some of the same dynamics or like mechanics in, in what they're reacting to and how it's expressed in a positive view of the world and the earthly life. Uh, and then from there you get into the Reformation and then uh, you have the, the conflicts with the Catholics and Protestants and that's that whole area is then the, the focus of one chapter in the forthcoming book from Strickland and also the whole episode, which is just 35 minutes, but it's really packed with interesting information. So uh, a few figures or names that are really great to just know a little bit about is Pope Innocent III. So there's so many popes, like you have hundreds of <laughs> popes over 2000 years, but some are really standing out and they're important historical figures. Innocent III, you can just remember 1200, more or less. That's when he becomes the Pope. Uh, right before he became Pope, he wrote this treaty called The Misery of Man, which is all about the horribleness of, of being alive and uh, all the negative stuff with the human body, the human nature, uh, how we come to be. And it's just uh, dark, depressing stuff for 
like a couple of hundred pages. It was written then in 1195, that treatise, and it became very important for centuries into the future. It became this kind of iconic big work, and it defined, in many ways, the how like a basic experience or approach to life in general seen from from the the papacy from the church uh, there was supposed to come a second part which was on the the good part of life the positive side of man <laughs> but that never came uh, but this did come through the humanists like manetti uh, around 1450 so about 250 years later one of the early humanists and then in this like 1400s which is this incredible infusion or kind of this volcanic eruption almost of of um, of arts new thinking and and just broadening the mind that is in florence and then both in the arts and the intellectual life and the sciences so he writes manetti writes about the the dignity of man and it's the same same idea as the renaissance that you go away from the pessimism and you want to be positive so, uh, what happens later then? So, so that's kind of that's all with with he talks like Strickland is talking about the the humanism in this episode. Um, it's also interesting to look at Mirandola. There's also one thing to say about the humanists that they are seen as f- today is they are often seen as fully secular, but if you read the original text, they are very much within the medieval cosmology still or kind of the catholic theology the writings still is a very strong presence of like the divine and a creator so even if they lift up the human as the center of 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 uh, existence the center of universe it's still within the creation that is made by the divine so they still acknowledge and in many ways are if not positive they are still um, not at least dismissing the the spiritual dimension and these ideas of uh, having a creator. They just want to elevate man as something glorious within the creation instead of something horrible. So that's kind of how it starts. But then quickly the 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 broader context is kind of fading out a bit, and then it just becomes and it's mostly seen today as just like looking at at man in kind of as an end in in itself. Like the human is just the center and then that's that's it <laughs> in many ways so um it's it's just a, one example of how history kind of changes some literary works and they're seen differently but if you read the original it's uh, every page is full of references to both scripture or like in mirandola it's uh, dionysius and you have the cherubim and the seraphim and and uh, very very much so an overall view of the world which is embedded in theology okay so all of this was then renaissance and humanism that comes then in one way as or one of the main forces behind it is then also the reaction to the pessimism that was like infusing or everywhere then in the the, the new papacy and the papal reforms and the catholic church you could also see this very strongly in Dante's Divine Comedy, for example, the way he attacks uh, almost with the restraint, the, the the negativity and the corruption of the institution of the church at the time. So from this, like you have two branches out, 
one is a little bit before the other one, but two different ways of reacting to the humanism and to the Renaissance, which is the the Reformation, and this is more known territory, but like you have the Reformation with Luther and Calvin, which then, in some interesting ways, they are picking up the negativity of Innocent III from the 1200s, uh, or around 1200, and they are repeating all this negativity about the earthly life and like the human condition. So in their writings, they have lots of words like bondage, misery, contempt, miserableness, not happy. And it's, it's again this huge contrast between earthly is bad, the heavenly is fantastic. So that's kind of the, 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 the basic approach, which is very different from the Eastern, where the earthly life is or could be or should be the unity of heaven and earth now. And the divine should be in you. It's not far away from you or high above you. It's kind of something you can find in you as something bright and and um, life-affirming and, and a source of inspiration, joy, good energy, and, and just having a, a deeper, more meaningful life. So that's a big difference in how you look at theology as well. So that's the Reformation. And then you have the reaction from the Catholic Church after the Renaissance and, and humanism, which is also kind of more known territory. This is standard Western Western Europe history uh, kind of writing with the Counter-Reformation and then they react to this secularization with trying to evangelize the seculum, kind of the lady, with beauty and just uh, lure people in with uh, with this experience of kind of transcendent beauty in in the earthly in the churches in the arts in the architecture and you also have this movement of jesuits who are then uh, going to uh, other continents they're even going to japan they're going to china to evangelize and they are also advising poland to invade russia that they try to do with king uh, the polish king king sigismund the third and there's a war in the early 1600 between Poland and Russia, in part trying to convert Russia from Orthodoxy to Catholicism. So it's kind of this uh, this uh, effort to to re-establish the Catholic Church again, and also then extraordinarily beautiful works like the Church of Gesù in Rome and the Church of Saint Ignatius also in Rome, especially the ceiling with uh, with frescoes by uh, Andrea Pozzo, which are just uh, incredibly beautiful. And also full of, it's a fun little fact on the side of it, all the winged babies as angels is something that comes from the Renaissance. It's very different from how angels were seen before because they were often um, very powerful, strong and kind of scary figures because they were kind of direct messengers or manifestations of the powers of the divine that could uh, have like, it's almost like um, respecting like Mother Nature, like the forces of Mother Nature, the angels had sometimes some of that kind of connotation or some of that feeling to them that they were ex like extremely powerful and <laughs> and uh, and just showing the the strength that could lie in in the world in the realities. So those small little um, winged babies are something that came later. Okay, so uh, and then all of this Baroque movement is then to excite the lady uh, you also have sculptures like bernini one of 
uh, one of my personal favorites, especially the Angel Bridge in Rome might be one of that and the, the Pietà by Michelangelo. But the, the, the statues by Bernini are just like they are cutting through the air. If you stand on the bridge and look at them, it's just they are so uh, they are so present, strong, energetic, and they just cut through the air and they're made 400 years ago, but they're still so kind of vibrantly vivid and alive. So that's uh, a part of this Baroque expression that is very emotional and very kind of passionate um, and still working, <laughs> like every day standing on the bridge there. So uh, that's the main parts of, of the Baroque reaction. Uh, Strickland is also mentioning uh, buildings like St. Paul in London as, as one an example of that. So, but then the critique of this is that the Baroque movement is moving the church towards a utopia instead of a paradise, which is one of the overall arguments for the whole four-volume work of John Strickland. Um, we'll get more into like what, what lies within the, in this term of utopia. But a part of it is like the seculum is the end of itself, in itself, to experience the transformation of the world that becomes something that's within the secular world, which is kind of the earthly world. So that's the main um, main argument of and kind of the main overview outline of the episode. Um, and then later we get into the wars between the Catholics and Protestants, which is in some ways just uh, makes everyone lose and it creates a poisoned legacy and it creates more secularization. So that's something Strickland is going to talk about in his next episode. The 17th century, like the 1600s, and the secularization of the state in the Western and Eastern Christendom. So, just to sum uh, up the substance of this episode, it's, the key points is just like you have Innocent III, around 1200, he's the Pope, He's very. He kind of puts into his treaty this approach, attitude about pessimism, negativity to the earthly life. Everything is misery, horribleness, and uh, it's just endure the pain and the suffering of the earthly, and then you'll get hopefully to paradise and uh, have the salvation to to get the eternal life afterwards. Uh, but there's no there's no hope. Or there's, there's no expectation of, of any quality of life now or that the earthly life could be something that you also can then experience something heavenly. This is hugely contrasting uh, also like the theology in something like the Divine Comedy where, where the paradise is something that you can experience now through uh, learning about the vices and the virtues, avoiding the sins and then also um, just cultivating and trying to be a person who lives with the good virtues and then eventually that would uh, create just a, a stronger, better life for you here and now in the earthly, which is the expressed uh, intention of Dante to move people from misery to happiness. So, uh, but again, Innocent III with the pessimism, then you had the reaction with the Renaissance and finding positivity in the earthly, and then you have the two two steps from out from there with Luther, Calvin, again back to negativity, and the Baroque, which is kind of uh, drawing people back into the church with all the beauty. Uh, but then through naturalism and through, in some sense, uh, using earthly beauty as, 
as that which attracts people back in. So in some sense, they, they move away from the more inner experience of something divine and the inner spiritual life to be more like the, the outer, more concrete, naturalist, uh, physical, in a sense, um, beauty as a way of experiencing something uh, in some sense also trans um, transcendent. So uh, that's the main outline. So uh, why we like this so much is because we don't agree with everything that Strickland is saying and the, the perspective, the orthodox Eastern perspective, uh, especially on the Renaissance and on humanism, but we find it incredibly interesting and great food and nutrition for thought. Uh, and it also shows... Um, something of kind of uh, movements in history that uh, it gives him more nuanced picture as well, especially that uh, maybe to make one concrete point that what the Renaissance is reacting to is the, let's say, 300 years, 350 years uh, of the new papacy, the Western tradition of Christendom, um, more than Christendom as it's kind of the 13-1400 years before. It is mostly the version of the that came out of the papacy. And again, the papacy is really uh, to a large extent uh, this is like there's, there's some disagreements about this, but at least there's a big component of the new papacy, the papal reforms after the schism, which is about politics, it's about re-establishing Rome as a power, like in some ways trying to recreate the Roman Empire with Rome as this center, like a city-state as a center of an empire. And like the Lateran Palace, which is the, the seat of the, the Pope for over a thousand uh, years or like for the, uh, for the Roman uh, Western, like the church in Rome, is... 500 meters from Foro Romanum, <laughs> so it's it's so soaked in in the history and the heritage of the Roman Empire. So it's natural that these forces kind of they do do things by themselves almost to to infuse the church with this idea that they are the center of an empire. And this shows in many ways in the increasingly power language that the, the papacy is using. So which was then heavily critiqued. Uh, from the beginning, also through Dante, even more from Luther. They both make, in many ways, the same critique, but they have very different ideas and suggestions for solutions to that. So um, I think we're going to wrap this one up here. I hope some of this is interesting, some, some new ideas, some food for thought, uh, also some inspiration to uh, listen to John Strickland. He's an excellent historian. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, also maybe reading his books because they give a, a very nice kind of supplement or kind of a balancing view and um, it changes what it changes your view of what you think might think about Christendom to be that which came after the schism which is a separate part and which is also in some ways um, important to, to have a, a little bit of knowledge about uh, to see that the first thousand years of of the tradition with the, with Christendom is different. So uh, with that, I'm going to stop this one here, and um, 
again, it's also, if nothing else, it could be a, a little um, um, inspiration to look at all the beautiful arts and to look more into the Renaissance and humanism as well. So uh, with that, I just want to say, I hope you're still having a great day. And, um, and uh, again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again in the next episode.